Hi, I'm Janet Silver, and welcome to Road Chats. Canada is changing, and so are the sectors that support it. On Road Chats, presented by National Energy Equipment, we take a deep dive into how the nation's most prominent fuel and convenience companies are innovating to be sustainable. On this podcast, we'll speak with sector experts to get some crystal ball predictions. Buckle up and get ready to hear how our fuel and convenience sector is making waves on Road Chats. Fred Gatala is the Director for Carbon and Sustainability with Advanced Biofuels Canada. This association represents producers, distributors, and developers of advanced biofuels. Fred, welcome to Road Chats. Thanks. It's great to be here with you today. So Fred, we're recording this podcast as we enter the final weeks of the worst wildfire season this nation has ever seen. It was also a summer that included floods, and according to scientists, it was the hottest month of July on record. And we also talk a lot about reaching net zero by 2050 to keep global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. And I'm just going to start with the generic question, Fred. Is that too late? Absolutely not too late we are making progress towards getting towards those emission goals. The one thing that we can absolutely not do is give up, is lose hope of think that it's all foregone concluded that climate change will surpass those levels. I think it's there's no better time than right now to redouble efforts. So it's certainly not too late. We clearly see climate change happening. We see and feel, read about, directly experience the impacts of it, but it's absolutely not too late. In terms of biofuels, and let's drill down on that specifically because that's why you're with us today, what are some of the key biofuels being used in Canada and are they all produced here in Canada? Great question. So when we talk about biofuels for transportation, we're generally talking about bioethanol, biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. We also have other biofuels that aren't used on the road and not the planes are on roads, but renewable marine fuels. So basically anything that is a liquid petroleum fuel does generally have a biofuel substitute or a biofuel additive that can be used to lower the carbon intensity of the fossil fuel. So are they made in the U in Canada? Well, you heard me almost say, are they made in the US? We've got a pretty integrated North American market when it comes to biofuels. Much of the ethanol that is used in Canada is imported from the US. I think we import about 1.5 billion liters of ethanol. We also import biodiesel, we produce biodiesel, we export fuels, and we're developing renewable diesel projects in Canada that will be supplying our domestic market and also be exported. So there's a lot of global trade happening in biofuels. And so that's really no different from the established fossil fuel sector, where we do have fuels flowing north-south across the border. So when we talk about biofuels, one of the things, according to a StatsCan report earlier this year, you know, we know that oil and gas extraction is about the highest for GHG emitting in the country. But it also, according to the StatsCan report, pointed to animal production, crop production is also being one of the biggest contributors for emissions, particularly in in provinces like Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So as we're talking about getting to net zero by 2050, switching to biofuels, 
but yet we know how much it's contributing to carbon for that production for crops and animals. I'm just wondering, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Are we not simply switching out one not great energy source in terms of environment for another? The thing about biofuels, the thing about fossil fuels, the thing about any type of energy, be it renewable, be it conventional, be it fossil fuel, be it you know solar, wind, everything, there's ways to do it well. There's ways to do it poorly. We see that in the traditional energy sector where there are process improvements that can be implemented that lower the carbon intensity of the gasoline, diesel, and other fuels that come out of a refinery. In the same way, on renewable fuels, there's ways to produce them that reduce emissions significantly or even have negative emissions. There's ways to produce fuels that have higher emissions than fossil fuels and mainly with Biofuels, that comes down to what feedstock are you using, what is happening to the land from where feedstock is harvested, and you know distances of transport, what your facility looks like. So it's not really a one is good, one is bad. It's actually um, a mix. And the issue that we have now and the ability that we have now to actually score these fuels on a grams of CO2 equivalent per megajoule basis allows for greater transparency and clarity of how the renewable fuels stack up or compare to the fossil fuels they're displacing. So if you've got Canadian agriculture, which is very efficient, and you are using low-till, no-till, or you know air-drilling seed where you're not disturbing the soil when you're planting the crop or seeding the crop, that has a tremendous impact on what your eventual greenhouse gas production score looks like for a biofuel supply chain. So one of the things that you touched on in the second part of your question, which is, you know, net zero by 2050, the thing about net zero is that it is a process to get to net zero. One of the pitfalls of approaching net zero is to say, you know, in 2023, well, a certain fuel is not net zero already, therefore we should not pursue it. What we've seen in the biofuel sector, what we've seen in probably most sectors, is that as you learn by doing, as you get from your alpha plant to your nth plant, that means when you have the the sector built out and you're able to improve through a market signal within the renewable fuel space that drives more innovation to lower carbon intensity scores, you see better and better performance. So even if a fuel is, say, you know, 25, 35, 45, 55, 65 percent below a fossil baseline, that's still quite important to pursue. And the nice part is we see biofuels going net zero very easily. I'll point you to our website, advancedbiofuels.ca, where we have a fair amount of content on biofuels in a net zero future and point to real experiences of renewable fuels going below, you know, zero emission rates. If you look at the province of British Columbia, where they have the most advanced provincial system across Canada and the most advanced reporting on fuel performance, you'll see the average greenhouse gas intensity of biodiesel is now negative. So the right policy pulls out these types of practices that end up reducing the emissions of a fuel type towards net zero and surpassing net zero targets. So are biofuels part of that? Absolutely. Can biofuels be made 
cleaner? Yes, we're seeing it. Can fossil fuels be made cleaner? Yes, we're seeing it. We're kind of all in this together. When you talk about that scorecard, for example, just to go to biofuels specifically, is that something that is given back to producers along with here's a path? to reduce those numbers even further in in the response? Like, are there penalties if they don't? Are there, like, is it a, a carrot and stick approach on that? So a carbon intensity score is calculated by a producer, a low carbon intensity fuel producer, to use the parlance of the clean fuel regulations. So a CI score is basically the sum of the environmental impacts of cultivation through to fuel distribution and eventual combustion. So using a life cycle analysis model, and the government of Canada has recently developed a new life cycle analysis model called the fuel LCA tool. Using that model, you can calculate what your carbon intensity score is of your total pathway on a grams per megajoule basis. Why do you do grams per megajoule? Because megajoule is an energy unit. And so that accounts for the fact that different fuels have different energy densities per volumetric amount. So there's different amounts of megajoules in a liter of diesel versus gasoline versus jet versus marine fuel, you name it. And so putting that on a per unit of energy basis kind of helps just keep everything apples to apples. So basically, fuels that have lower carbon intensity scores meaning that they emit less grams of CO2 per megajoule, will have greater attractiveness in a market. The federal clean fuel regulation, which is basically a national low-carbon fuel standard, it's a significant accomplishment that's occurred in the last... um, It's been an overnight success of six years plus. But fuels that have lower CI scores are more attractive in that market. So there is actually a drive to reduce the carbon intensity of fuels that are being provided to that market. So I guess it's a bit, you started, is it a carrot or stick? It's a carrot because a lower CI score achieves greater market value, but it's also a stick on the fossil fuel side because the primary suppliers, that's the term in the clean fuel regulations, The primary suppliers are required to reduce the carbon intensity of the fuels they supply to the Canadian market. That's a stick. So they kind of go together. CI scores are really fundamental to the clean fuel regulations, and they're really becoming part of the energy discussion. People that really haven't worked with life cycle analysis and CI scores going back, you know, a decade like we have are now very up the curve with what that means, the economic impact of them. You spoke, Fred, just a moment ago about regulations. I want to turn to another one, and that's the Cleaner Transportation Fuels Regulation. In Ontario, full disclosure, I'm in Ontario, which is the most populous province in the country. That regulation only requires suppliers blend about 10% of renewable content in gasoline. And that number gradually goes up to 2025. And as we're talking about biofuels as being a important component, if you will, to get us to 20. I'm wondering why that number, and to me, a layman, 10% just seems kind of low, and the amount that it's going up is quite low each year. Is that due to supply, or is it due to demand, or is it due to mixing it for the consumer so that their vehicles still 
works at the best that it can. So I'm glad you mentioned Ontario because it certainly is the most populous province. Uh, on the gasoline side, the Ontario Cleaner Transportation Fuel Reg goes to 15% ethanol requirements. So we're seeing Ontario and Quebec both pointing to an E15 blend mandate. Of course, both of those policies have a greenhouse gas volume adjustment approach, meaning that if you have a lower CI fuel, you can use slightly less of that fuel because the notion is that the environmental benefits will be equivalent. If you have a lower CI fuel, you need less of it to get the same GHG reductions. So Ontario and Quebec going to 15% ethanol and gasoline, that's very important. We think that's a level that other Canadian provinces can lever up to. Right now, Aside from Ontario and Quebec, the 0.2-15% ethanol, Manitoba is at 10%. And we're seeing that 10% makes a lot of sense, but there's far more room to go higher. There's also a real cost driver to go beyond 10% in ethanol because ethanol is cheaper than gasoline. You add in the compliance benefit, as in because it's a low-carbon fuel, it's valuable to fuel suppliers to provide ethanol in markets that have both provincial renewable fuel requirements like Ontario and Quebec's and are overlaid by a federal policy like the clean fuel regulations. We're seeing that blends go go higher beyond 10% towards 15 and that may happen even earlier than the reg allows. We're seeing a lot more openness to 15% ethanol in vehicles than we have previously. So why is that important? We've got a lot of internal combustion engine vehicles on the road. Even though EV sales are the fastest growing segment, you know, you look outside, you see a lot of internal combustion engine vehicles. So anything that tries to get us towards our emission reduction goals needs to address the current vehicle stock that is on the road now and will remain on the road um, well beyond 2030. So ethanol and biodiesel and renewable diesel, but ethanol specifically is a very good fuel for reducing emissions in cars that are on the road today, even as we do turn up the dial on greater EV penetration. That kind of leads nicely to the next question, Fred. And overall, how do advanced biofuels fit into the energy market today? You were saying we could be doing more. Where and where does those biofuels come from? Should they be coming from Canada? The nice part about biofuels and advanced biofuels is that they seamlessly integrate. So cars that use diesel are now likely receiving fossil diesel plus a bit of biodiesel plus a bit of renewable diesel. Cars that use gasoline are now definitely receiving a portion of that gasoline fuel is ethanol, is renewable alcohol. So the really important part about renewable fuels is that they integrate with the fueling systems, the delivery infrastructure, the vehicle combustion systems that already exist. Where they come from is a bigger question that's impacted by trade, impacted by public investment, impacted by tax incentives. I mean, where facilities choose to locate are completely in a large sense, determined by where capital is allocated by multinational energy firms, uh, renewable fuel, you know, integrated agricultural firms, etc. So we have open borders. 
especially with the US. So as I mentioned previously, a lot of fuels come from the US. We export some fuels to the US. Fuels can come in internationally and that and that certainly happens. Should they be made in Canada? Well, maybe. There's definitely a positive aspect for Canadian agricultural producers producing feedstocks that are converted into a range of products, including renewable fuels, that end up in Canada. That's important. We think that's pretty key for policy longevity, for there to be direct economic benefits of a policy domestically. That's where a lot of the the multipliers and the good GDP impacts come from when you're producing renewable fuels because it keeps it keeps money in the country, especially when those fuels are developed from domestically grown feedstocks. So I wouldn't go so far to say that, you know, the fuels must be produced in Canada and that's say some type of litmus test for whether a policy proceeds. Um no. But Certainly, there will be a benefit when those fuels are produced in Canada. That's where the GDP impacts come from. And that's really what we're hoping the federal government moves forward through the 2023 fall economic statement and eventually budget 2024, which is to put in place the suite of policy measures that include um, a substantial amount of fiscal measures to encourage renewable fuel production domestically to supply domestic fuel markets. The clean fuel regulations um, that came into force in mid-2022 combined with a suite of provincial programs that have come into place you know, decades ago um, all points to a pretty robust demand side in Canada. And to really have both sides of the coin and get the full emission benefits of renewable fuels and the economic production benefits of renewable fuels, you really want those facilities to take root and be generating fuels domestically. When you look at the transportation sector as a whole, and I'm talking about, you know, 18 wheelers, marine, airplanes, I drive a Mini Cooper, little cars, the whole gambit. Is there one specific area within the transport sector where biofuels, advanced biofuels seem to make the most sense as the energy driver? Anything that's a liquid really benefits from advanced biofuels. Liquids are a very energy dense state of matter for fuels. So sustainable aviation fuel that is a renewable distillate fuel, ethanol, biodiesel, renewable diesel, those liquid fuel types are very important towards the energy transition because it's really that seamless integration that makes the most sense. We saw a news report out of California that said for the first time, 50% of diesel is from renewable sources. Significant milestone, probably even higher um, because California reporting does lag a bit by the market. So we think it's actually a bit higher than that. But we're seeing real penetration of renewable fuels into especially the diesel sector, but also eventually the aviation sector. Um, On-road gasoline transport, so you know, consumer vehicles or the light-duty vehicle fleets certainly will have uh, electrification playing a greater role. But anything that uses liquids can seamlessly use renewable advanced biofuels. And I say the term advanced, I should probably clarify what I mean by that because it's a, 
advanced can mean a lot of things. We use that in our association to mean fuels that reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50% below the fossil fuel that they substitute for, and fuels that are grown um, or produced in compliance with some type of sustainability criteria. In Canada, we have under the clean fuel regulations, something called the land use and biodiversity criteria. This is fairly important and significant because it requires um, that renewable fuels used in Canada to comply with the clean fuel regulation must be grown responsibly, must be harvested responsibly, must not be from areas where there is significant deforestation happening, um, and basically have to come from jurisdictions that have legal processes and requirements in place to ensure that there is integrity and responsibility within the biofuel feedstock supply chain. I'm wondering, Fred, as you look towards the next 5, 10, 15 years, you indicated earlier that there's more that Canada could be doing. There's more that we could grow, be more engaged when it comes to biofuels. Do you see a point in time where Canada could be a global leader in biofuel production? The right pieces are in place. Canada is on the map hugely when it comes to demand-side policy. The demand-side policy is what reduces the emissions. So the clean fuel regulation is extremely significant. It's a national-level low-carbon fuel standard like they have in California, which has been viewed, understood, demonstrated to be the best policy for reducing transportation sector emissions. Transportation sector emissions are some of the hardest to reduce. The low carbon fuel standard is a market-driven approach to do that. It's creating value for renewable fuel producers to participate in that market. So the response of fuel producers to comply with the clean fuel regulation is what stands to put Canada in a leadership position with respect to renewable fuel production and eventually export and certainly use. We're seeing the, the renewable diesel space. That's a project type that basically takes some of the processes that you use in traditional fossil fuel refineries and utilizes those processes for renewable feedstocks. We see that as one of the key parts of the renewable fuel supply chain that is set to expand in the years to come. Much of that hinges on what the Canadian federal government does in response to the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act that became law middle of August 2022, about a year ago. So in budget 2023 in April, uh, what the federal government signaled was a significantly detailed process to come up with a Canadian response to the Inflation Reduction Act, noting that clean fuels are an essential part of achieving Canada's emission reduction targets. So there's been a lot of work um, led, I think, effectively by the federal government, especially Natural Resources Canada, to talk to the industry, talk to experts, get opinions on what the Canadian response should be. So we'll see. When the fall economic statement and budget 24 eventually come out, I think we'll have a pretty good view toward what Canada's response to the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and specifically the Inflation Reduction Act adds 45Z 
to the US tax code that is a clean fuel producers tax credit that basically provides a per gallon incentive rate to renewable fuel producers in the US and the rate depends on the environmental performance of the fuel. So how Canada responds to that will be will be front and center with how much additional renewable fuels are produced to serve domestic markets and, and eventual export markets. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. This business, um, it's it's good to be optimistic, of course. Is it a big ask? Is it a lot of work required? Certainly. But we shall see. The opportunity is clear. Um, one of the nice things, uh, for those that have been in the renewable fuel space for you know, 15 years, I've been in this sector for about 16, 17 years, is we're not having the discussion anymore about whether the fuels work. We're not talking about whether they're fit for purpose or whether they're going to strand vehicles by the side of the road. Nope. The fuels now are drop-in, meaning that you just put them in and they effectively substitute directly for the fossil fuels um, that have been traditionally used. 100% biodiesel is used, 100% renewable diesel are both used. Biodiesel is a slightly different molecule than diesel. It has oxygen in it, which has a lot of benefits um, when it's used correctly. So we're seeing a lot of innovation in the renewable fuel space where you have blends of renewable diesel with biodiesel, that you're getting some of the best aspects of both of those fuels, meaning cleaner combustion, that you get from biodiesel and the drop-in nature that you get from from renewable diesel. So I I am optimistic, but I'm like I'm optimistic about pretty much everything. I think that's a better way to live. But in this specific case, yes, yes, I am. How do you feel about it? <laughs> I feel much better talking to you, Brad. Hey, there we go. Okay, Brad Gatella with Advanced Biofuels Canada. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All the best. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen and subscribe to Road Chats presented by National Energy Equipment anywhere you find your podcasts. I'm Janet Silver. Until next time.